Hello, and welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Cranson. Today, I'll be talking about equity in the context of building and maintaining transportation infrastructure. Last week, Michigan Department of Transportation Director Paul Adjuba was among signers of an equity in infrastructure project pledge, solidifying a commitment to ensuring opportunities for underrepresented businesses. He'll talk about that pledge. And then later, I'll speak with Phil Washington, who is the CEO of the Denver International Airport and President Biden's nominee for administrator of the Federal Aviation Administration. He helped co-found EIP, along with John Porcari, who was Deputy Secretary and Chief Operating Officer of the U.S. Department of Transportation during the Obama administration. But first, again, I'm with Director Adjuba. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Jeff. How are you today? Thanks. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted you to talk kind of in general about what this equity and infrastructure pledge means to you. You were one of six DOT CEOs to sign this. Um, you know, there's a there's a symbolic element to this, but there's also a very tangible element. Can you talk about what those are? Yeah. First, uh, let me say I, I was truly honored to be invited to be part of the uh, event last weekend in Washington. I think the the, the symbolic part of it is that uh, you know the the invited CEOs came together to say we are pledging to the, the vision of what the the EIP is about. EIP is equity in procurement, right? Uh, the the significance of this is to also show that our, our commitment to making sure that all these dollars that's that's being given to the states that it's it's distributed in an equitable way uh make sure that some of the dbe programs that we have in place we we show them up and where we think we could do better we should strive to do better uh, part of the the bigger picture of uh eip is to look at what are some of the, the federal barriers that's holding uh, the, the DBEs back from uh, first people getting into the business and to uh, growing. Uh, we, we've been uh, working with them on some of these issues, identified some. For instance, I think uh, the, the question of reciprocity between states, I think it's a good idea. We have a construction company, a minority construction company located in Toledo. They should not have to go through another pre-qual process to get pre-qualified right here in Michigan when they can do projects in Monroe, in Dundee, or quite frankly, all the way to Annabelle. So these are some of the, the, the things we can do to make it easier for them. And, you know, like commercial useful function is a big issue on the federal level. The DBE cap on, on your, your financial uh, statement is another big one. Um, that number has not been, has not changed in as, for as long as I can remember. Those are the little, little things that we can do to, on, on, on our part, to help move this initiative forward. So MDOT has had a DBE, Disadvantaged Business Enterprise Program, for a number of years, focusing on just the kinds of things you're talking about. And, and we can definitely talk about the social equity aspect and why that's important and the belief that, it, you know, the rising tide, obviously, um, is, is going to, to lift all and that we need 
everybody to be able to participate long term for the the health of the economy. The more the more businesses, big and small, that are successful, the more successful we all are. So, talk about that DBE program and and you know what you've learned over the years about it and and why it's helpful. Well, no, I, I mean having spent uh, a, a lot of time on this issue uh, while I was in uh, University Region and in Metro. I think I, I somewhat understand some of the challenges uh, that that is associated with growing the DBEs. Uh, for instance, first you, you have to have a, a willing and able company out there. But how do you get to them being a willing and able company? Uh, and that's uh, making sure that things are put in place to help them succeed. We've had cases where uh, we've had very promising DBEs uh, take on more than they can handle. And when that happens, uh, they get in trouble. So how do we make sure that they don't get to that point you know, by maybe creating some oversight things and put, putting some oversight things in place and uh, quite frankly, play an advisory role sometimes when we need to. Uh, we're doing a lot of very big uh, expedited projects where you, you try to inject a DBE in that process. They probably cannot keep up, and that is not a good recipe, right? We, we have to make sure that they are bidding on the right projects that will help them learn and grow to be able to stand on their own. Uh, and, you know, I always like the, the matchmaking idea where you match a DBE with a big uh, contractor, they take them under their wings. They're more like what we're doing on the mentor protege side and the consultant side. Create programs like that where uh, it, it has to be what they want for, for the big contractor to want to take them on. So you, you create a, an incentive uh, for them to want to do that. And I think that to me, it's a, a slow, healthy way to stop moving the needle on, 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 this, uh, on this issue. Well, some of the things that you've done even before you were director, but you've, you know, especially underscored during your time as director since 2019, you know, kind of lead right into this. I mean, it's a, it's a natural evolution to have an equity and in infrastructure project uh, as, as an outgrowth of some of the things that you've done in your state and others have done. Um, one of those big things, uh, you know, was your hand in in founding MDOT's uh, transportation diversity recruitment program and and getting uh, youths from historically black universities and colleges into into the system ahead of time. Can you talk about that? Oh, I, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I think uh, a program like that is, to me, a, a good way to expose on the represented group into our business, right? Um, when we created the program about eight years ago, it was more for um, let's bring in some, we created it with four students from uh, uh, HBCU school. We put them up at the University of Michigan, give them a job over the summer. And in, in doing that, we able to kind of expose them to what we do, working out in the field uh, we hope that someday, they, once they graduate, they want to work in the industry and hopefully maybe decide they want to open their own construction company. And, and based on the 
on the knowledge that they've gained working out in the field. Um, obviously, the program has grown tremendously over the years. This past summer, I believe we had about 63 students uh, from all HBCUs across the country come to Michigan. And, uh, you know, most, I think 90% of them worked out in, in the construction uh, uh, projects. And that's, to me, is another way of trying to do what we can to expose them to the industry with the hope that eventually they will stay, which I believe uh, it's a good thing for not just MDAT, uh, the, the, the construction industry, but uh, I think for the whole country. Yeah, absolutely. So something else that you've done uh, recently in your tenure as director has, has created the department's first uh, chief culture equity and inclusion officer. Um, you put a special emphasis on that. You, you put that position at the deputy director level to, to uh, you know, make a statement for the department and for the the rest of the state about how important this is. Can you talk about what uh, what brought you to that decision? Well, uh, first, I'm, I'm going to give uh, Laura Mester and uh, Tony Crowderfield, my um, uh, director's executive team, a lot of credit on on this. Uh, it was a DET vision to say, okay, uh, with all the unrest going on in the country, emphasis on equity and inclusion, what part are we going to play in this? And over several meetings and discussions, we all decided, well, let's create uh, equity and inclusion of supposition. Uh, that's a deputy director level, because if you really want to effect change, uh, uh, we truly believe you got to keep it at that level. And we reorganized the department, put some uh, areas underneath that 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 position. Uh, again, uh, I'll give them credit because they were open-minded enough about it where we took planning and put it under that, that, that position, put transportation and uh, uh, economic development, put it under that position, several other positions, uh, Office of uh, Organizational development and and I think doing that uh, kind of sends the message to the department and to our external customers as well that and that truly uh, we mean this and we really want to see how we can affect change because we do uh, give out a lot of contracts and how do you make sure there's equity in in, in doing this and that is what that position was created to do. And I think Terry's doing a great job slowly building her team and start putting some things in place that I believe over time is going to be uh, a fabric of the culture of the organization moving forward. Yeah, that's Terry Slaughter, who is the CCEIO for MDOT. And as, as, as you said, she's uh, taking it, uh, you know, slow and, and methodical, but with a long-term vision to, to make an impact. So I guess just real briefly before we close, um, what does success for you look like um, out of this EIP initiative, you know, both uh, at the state level and nationally? Uh, as I said during the ceremony, one of the things I truly like about it is that we're going to measure this, uh, right? I, I always believe when you create an initiative like this or quite frankly you're doing anything you don't measure you don't know how well you're doing uh success to me is to see that 
we are slowly moving some of the identifiable barriers out of the way. Uh, again, part of what I've said in uh, some of our meetings is like the reciprocity, and that to me is a low-hanging fruit where we can, every region can really uh, embrace that initiative where uh, we, we bother Ohio, Indiana, and, and we, we could do those things easily, right? Uh, by by collaborating with them. And quite frankly, I'd like to see what it looks, this whole thing looks like in five years. Uh, we, we put some things in place. These are the things we'd like to achieve in the next five years and I'll work hard to achieve them and measure. And see, if, uh, to me, that's what success looks like. And when we've done that, I think it creates an environment where a small DB company can actually grow and, and, and stand on their own. Yeah, and, and once again, uh, that that success across the board is going to be good good for all of us, good for society, good for the economy, um, and good for certainly the transportation industry. So, well, thank you, Director. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me. I, I, I truly appreciate your interest in, in this issue as well. Thank you. And we'll be back in just a minute to talk again with Phil Washington, one of the co-founders of the Equity and Infrastructure Project. The Michigan Department of Transportation reminds you that when a vehicle collides with another vehicle, person or other object, it is a crash, not an accident. By reducing human error, we can prevent crashes and rebuild Michigan roads safely. Our second segment today continues the discussion about EIP, the Equity and Infrastructure Project, and I'm very pleased to have one of the co-founders of the project with me, Phil Washington, who is the CEO of the Denver International Airport. Um, Mr. Washington, thank you very much for taking time to talk with us. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's great to be here. So you talked about the the momentum that's being generated for EIP with more CEOs from DOTs across the country signing on. And uh, obviously, there's both a, a symbolic and we hope tangible uh, component to this this whole thing. Could you just talk high level about you know how you think this can actually move the needle for uh, DBEs and other underrepresented groups in transportation? Well, I think uh, a, a couple of things that that I think about. Uh, one is increasing generational wealth. Um, this administration uh, declared uh, through the president's executive order uh, that uh, uh, the president wanted to increase generational wealth in underserved communities. Uh, and so one of the things that we thought about that could accomplish that uh, was through contracting. Uh, and so the idea of asking infrastructure agencies around the country uh, to pledge to significantly increase the amount uh, of uh, minority uh, business prime contract awards was something that we thought was very, very doable and still do. Uh, and so to have, uh, as we did last week, six state DOTs uh, to commit to that and take a pledge uh, to increase minority prime contract awards uh, with the result of 
increasing generational wealth in underserved communities uh, is very, very significant. And uh, we think we're on our way uh, to having more states do just that. So, you know, social equity should go without saying as, as a goal of all of ours, but from a really practical standpoint, could you talk about you know, the rising tide and why, you know, why it, it's it's so important for society and, and for the economy that the the more people you enable to participate, the more businesses, you know, the, the more we all flourish. Yeah, um, I, I think, uh, you know, one, I, I've always said that this effort is an economic development program. It's an economic development project. Um, and the idea is that if small and minority businesses, uh, especially black and brown businesses, um, receive uh, and are awarded prime contracts, it stands to reason uh, that those small businesses will hire people from underserved communities uh, because those businesses, those small and minority businesses um, are uh, oftentimes from those underserved communities. And so if those businesses receive prime awards, and then turn around and hire people from those underserved communities, those individuals will pay taxes on their earnings. Uh, I can see, um, you know, house uh, house purchases, home purchases increasing. I can see crime uh, being reduced in those underserved communities because people have jobs. There's all kinds of residual benefits uh, from this effort uh, that we have uh, been pushing forward through the equity and infrastructure projects. So a rising tide um, really does benefit uh, everyone concerned. It benefits those communities. It benefits the federal government, state government, all levels of government. Uh, and so that is why we're so passionate about it. Well, talk about some of the things that you've done, both in your role at DIA and in previous uh, career opportunities to enhance this and what what kind of brought you to the point to, to join John Prakari in, in founding EIP? Uh, well, uh, it's a huge passion of mine. It has been a passion of mine since uh, I was a youngster, actually. I can remember uh, seeing people uh, building infrastructure in my community, which was uh, public housing on the south side of Chicago. Uh, I saw people building infrastructure uh, that did not look like me. Uh, and when I uh, looked uh, to get a job uh, building my own community, I was either told that I was not trained or I, I lacked the experience. Uh, and so that stuck with me from the time I was 12, 13, 14 years old. Uh, went into the United States military and worked to um, try to level the playing field, even in the military, supported um, uh, women in combat arms units, and that was not the case when I first went into the military. Uh, got into transportation and looked to level the playing field with minority businesses and, and coached and mentored um, women. Um, I like to, um, to, to point out to people that during my six years at LA Metro, uh, we produced six uh, CEOs in other places. And so educating and training and mentoring uh, has always been something that um, uh, that I've been very, very passionate about. Uh, John Picari and I have been friends for many years. Uh, and in the run-up 
and in working on the Biden-Harris transition team and the policy committee, we thought about how we could operationalize uh, the president's executive order, executive order 13985 that talks about advancing racial equity um, uh, through uh, the federal government funding. Uh, and so we thought about contracting. And so we created this effort of equity and in, 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 um, uh, equity in procurement uh, and equity in infrastructure. And I'm happy to see uh, that it has flourished over the last year or so that we put this together. While we're on that topic, uh, let's talk about, you know, what you're doing currently and, uh, you know, what opportunities are in the future. President Biden has nominated you to be administrator of the uh, FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, which is part of USDOT. You'd be working with Secretary Buttigieg. Um, talk about that and and how you think you can further not just these objectives, but uh, some other goals of yours. Well, first of all, let me just say that I'm honored by the nomination. Uh, I'm honored by that nomination. I'm honored by the trust that uh, the president has in me uh, to lead this agency. I'm honored uh, by uh, Secretary Buttigieg having the trust in me along with the deputy secretary uh, as well. Um, so very, very honored. I'm going through the process right now. We'll see where that goes. Um, but, you know, I, I think um, uh, thinking about uh, that position, uh, I will do the same things uh, that I've done for the last 45 years of my adult life, um, which is number one, safety, um, and also uh, operationalizing equity um, in the infrastructure realm. And so that is what I've done uh, for 45 years. Uh, I will continue to do that from the equity standpoint. Um, and, uh, you know, where we are right now in, in aviation, we need more people. We need more women in aviation. We need people of color in aviation. Uh, we need to stand up um, a qualified workforce for the next 15 to 20 years. Uh, and this is not just in aviation, this is in all modes of transportation. Uh, and so I will continue uh, what I've been doing for 45 years, uh, and that is leading by example. So is that a lot? I mean, you talked about training and certainly uh, diversifying the people in the aviation industry, but is that, I mean, we know that uh, flights have come roaring back, uh, you know, since uh, the height of the pandemic and, and people are traveling. Uh, I guess we could talk about the juxtaposition or contradiction of people telling uh, pollsters how bad the economy is, even while they're buying plane tickets and traveling. But is is a lot of that challenge uh, in in hiring and and getting qualified pilots in the pipeline? Is that a big part of it? Well, I I think um, you know the challenges that uh, aviation have uh, are well documented. Um, you know. You know, not just aviation, but I again, I think in every mode of transportation, uh, there is a need uh, to stand up a qualified workforce in every mode. Uh, and that is not just pilots, that is mechanics, uh, that is controllers, um, that is uh, rail technicians. If you think about the rail uh, industry, um, that is um, all kinds of needs that we have. Um, and so training becomes very, very important in all of these 
Uh, and um, I would uh, approach any job that I'm in, uh, whether it is FAA or whether it is my job here running uh, the the third busiest airport in the world, which is Denver International Airport, whatever my role is, uh, I will approach it the same way. Uh, and that is bringing people into an industry um, where they are needed. Uh, and that is uh, looking out for the safety um, aspects uh, of this industry and other infrastructure modes. Uh, I will come to that with a level of experience um, that um, that I think is needed. Wow, third busiest in the world. I, I As a skier, I can testify that EIA <laughs> is busy, but I didn't know it was that busy. Wow. Yes, absolutely. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I, I really appreciate it, and I want to wish you the best of luck with uh, both the EIP project going forward and with uh, the FAA nomination. Thank you so much, Jeff, and uh, I appreciate your interest. Uh, in the equity and infrastructure project. uh, And, you know, we're moving forward with it. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. To subscribe to show notes and more, go to Apple Podcasts and search for Talking Michigan Transportation. I also want to thank Randy Devler for his work producing this week's podcast. Jesse Ball, Embed Social Media Coordinator, who proofreads the show notes and helps with all kinds of things uh, related to getting this done every week. And Courtney Bates, who does a great job putting the podcast together in a format so it can be posted. And Sarah Canucks Connect in our office, who also helps with the production and the transcription of the podcast. 